0: Hey guys, welcome to the One Life Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today and we hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. Enjoy the message. Thank you. Great to be here again. Uh, it wasn't that long ago, a couple of months ago I was here and um, absolutely love coming to Mudgy. Uh, love this church, love you all. Uh, I'm here flying solo today. Uh, we had planned to come over as a, as a family. For those that don't know, I'm uh, married to the most beautiful woman on the planet, and we have five absolutely uh, incredible children. And unfortunately, a few of them come down this week uh, with a few coughs and colds. So, um, so I'm here solo. So basically, after ch- I guess I can do what I want really after the service, can't I? So, um, but no, looking forward to sharing. Looking forward to sharing, uh, particularly around the topic of Nehemiah. Now, for those that don't know, I have uh, had a season uh, uh, pastoring a church or a, a few different churches. I was youth and young adults pastor in Orange for uh, uh, for almost 10 years uh, and then moved to Sydney where where my wife and I pastored a church. But but long before that, um, I had a, I have uh, done an apprenticeship as a brick and block layer. Um, and, and so as we come around Nehemiah today, I'm, I'm really looking forward to... To uh, continuing to dig into the life of Nehemiah. And, and today I want to focus not so much on what Nehemiah achieved, but ultimately uh, who Nehemiah was. And we get a big glimpse of that in chapter 1. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. Uh, if not, the, the scriptures will pop up on the screen, but just a little bit of a backstory. Uh, to the life of Nehemiah, the book, and and you may have heard this over the last few weeks, but let me just recap for refresh us and for those that may not uh, have heard. The book of Nehemiah starts at about 445 BC. And about 120 years previously, uh, Babylonian King Nebuchadnezzar had invaded Jerusalem, taken captive the people of the city and destroyed the city uh, walls, uh, the temple and its homes. Uh, Without the walls and the gates, it's left Jerusalem uh, incredibly vulnerable to the other nations, often invading and taking their goods uh, they would plunder their crops and they would steal their livestock and they were just consistently on edge because they were just getting ravaged uh just when they'd start to get ahead they would just get uh get their stuff uh knocked off and uh, it really just eroded their confidence it really kept uh stealing their their security and they just didn't have uh the strength that they needed to combat. Uh, those enemies, and during the next, uh, you know, years uh, around this time, um, in this, on the scene of Babylon, different different uh, people of God came to being. We have Ezekiel and Daniel and Haggai and Zechariah, and Malachi, and we have uh, Zerubbabel who uh, began to rebuild the temple because the temple was destroyed, all the gates, everything. It's Zerubbabel uh, comes on the scene and 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 organizes the rebuilding of the temple. We have Ezra who really brought like centrality to the to to God's word and and then here we come to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is not your typical Old Testament character. He's not he's not a prophet. He's not a king uh, he's not a priest uh, he's a cupbearer for that for the Babylonian king at that stay at, at that time um, and seems to be the most unlikely of heroes. He's not even a brick and block layer. I one of my best friends insulted me one day when he asked me if brick and block laying is that a, an apprenticeship that you've got to go to TAFE and a trade. He just thought it was just something that you could learn like off the cuff like panel beating or, um, you know, electrical work. <laughs> but the king of Persia began to allow uh, Jews to re- return back to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is in Persia, and this is probably most likely the second wave of Jews that were released to go back uh, to Jerusalem. And the interesting fact is that it's very likely that Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem, never been to Israel. And so we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 1. We're just going to read seven verses, and we'll pray, and then we'll get into it. It says, These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev. Do you know which month that is? <coughs> Me neither. In the 20th year of Artaxerxes reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some of the other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, I mourn, uh, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of unfailing love with those who love Him and obey His commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, I thank you that the Bible is is not a fairy tale that became a bestseller. Father, it is your word. It is your truth. It is established on this earth to bring life to our hearts. And today we open our hearts afresh. Let us not be familiar with the word of God. Let us not take it for granted. But God, today we ask that you would speak to us through your word, God, that you would bring transformation and revelation to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Have you ever wondered why you are where you are? Have you ever wondered why, why do you live in Mudgee? Have you ever wondered why, why you attend that school or why you have that job or why you go to that coffee shop every single day? Have you ever, have you ever wondered, well, why, do we, why, why am I? Some of you might even feel stuck and thinking, I don't really want to be here. But let me tell you this, God has a unique ability and way of positioning us exactly where he wants us. There is no doubt in my mind that Nehemiah longed to be in Jerusalem. And the truth is, is that if he had have been released in the first wave, we would have been reading a very different end to this story. God had Nehemiah exactly where he needed to be. And, And the truth is, some of us, we get so discontented where we are. We get so discontented with with our jobs and with our marriages and with our families and with our schools and, and the grass always looks greener on the other side. But my encouragement for us today is that we would open our eyes to recognize that God has us exactly where we need to be. And there's no point in us having foul attitudes and kicking the dirt and wishing and longing we were somewhere else. We need to open our hearts and understand that God has us exactly where we need to be. As I said before, Nehemiah was, was the most unlikely hero. But he was positioned perfectly to bring the answer for Jerusalem. A couple of things about Nehemiah that I think it's important to understand that, that, a, that a cupbearer at this time is one of the most trusted persons of the king. He basically his job and and People may have shared this, but let me just reiterate that, that, that he would sample the food and taste the wine before it got to the king to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. I mean, there's a fair risk in that job, but you'd hope that there was some reward also. You, pl- you need to understand that the cupbearer would have been well looked after. It was pretty important for the king to make sure that he was on his side. <laughs> so Nehemiah lived in luxury, wanted for nothing. He would have had the most phenomenal house and possessions and and well looked after because the king needed to have him as a trusted friend and a trusted ally. Yet despite of Nehemiah's place of living, his lifestyle and his contentment, he is deeply troubled by the condition of God's people, the Jews. As I want to just unpack this chapter, particularly look at, Nehemiah's response. There's a few things in Nehemiah's response that really highlight to us the type of person he is, and I want to encourage and challenge us to be uh, to, to 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 really to really come to this place of understanding that that it was who Nehemiah was that led to him being able to achieve what he achieved. He wasn't a brick and block layer. Uh, he wasn't some great, you know, gifted whatever person he was in the right place the right time and there are a few things in particular that nehemiah did or who nehemiah was that really led to him having the success the first thing that i want to highlight from nehemiah is that nehemiah wept he wept for days and i want to ask us here this morning when was the last time you wept when was the last time you wept when was the last time you wept for the brokenness in somebody else When was the last time that you looked at one of your children and wept for their innocence? When was the last time you looked at somebody walking down the street that is so much less fortunate than you and your heart broke for them? When was the last time your heart broke and you wept for the lost, for those who don't know Christ over your own spiritual condition? Have you ever had one of those moments where just before God, you realize how unworthy you are and how thankful you are that he sent his only son to pay a price that we could never pay? When was the last time you wept? When was the last time the condition of the world around us broke us enough that brought us to tears? Are we soft enough in our hearts that we can experience and empathize with the brokenness? Or are we too busy tasting and sampling the delicacies of the king's table? Brokenness should bother us. We should all be burdened by brokenness. Would have been so easy for Nehemiah to stay in the comfort of the palace than to deal with the pain of the people. It's so much easier for us just to enjoy our paychecks, to enjoy our nice cars and our homes and to enjoy our coffee and our cake and our lattes and our cooked meals and our takeout once a week. And even if menu log screws us over, it doesn't matter. Do you know, it's, even if they're 10 minutes late, you know, the things that we get bird up about these days is ridiculous. We have menu, you get menu log and you like, you order your, and, and you see the time that it first comes up. And if it arrives two minutes later than that, we're getting worked up. I'll say it again, are we busy wine tasting and sampling the goods that we've ignored the cry of the lost and the brokenness around us? The second thing that Nehemiah did is Nehemiah prayed. Have you ever had a problem too big for you? Have you got a problem that is too big for you? Too big for man's intervention? Do you have a problem now? It's just way too big. 11 times in 13 chapters, Nehemiah says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. If Jesus had to retreat away to pray, he had to teach us to pray, how important then is prayer? There's a few things that I want to unpack from Nehemiah's prayer that I really believe that uh, will enrich us and help us in our everyday. And the first thing is this, prayer gives us perspective on the bigness and sovereignty of God. One of the greatest things of prayer and worship Uh, like times this morning, is, is all of a sudden it aligns our perception to the bigness of God. Notice when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, he starts the prayer not with from our problem here on earth, but from our Father who art in heaven. Nehemiah's prayer, so I pray to the God of heaven. Jesus taught the disciples to pray, our Father who art in heaven. So it's about getting our perspective right to understand that our God is above and not beneath. That he, is, that he is the ruler, that he has all authority. And so, so the great, one of the greatest things of prayer is it aligns our perspective again and helps us realize that God is far bigger than this. Eternity is far bigger than this. We get so worked up on the here and now, and we lose the big picture through the busyness of our lives. I don't know if you realize this, but let me encourage you that nothing is impossible for God. Doesn't mean that God will always do things the way that you want Him to, but we need to trust that His ways are higher than our ways. He is above, not beneath. He is Almighty or powerful. He is for you, not against you. He works all things for good. He never gives up on us, and never gives us anything we can't handle. As Nehemiah prays, the second thing I want to draw from his prayer is that he reminds God of His promises. I wonder why Nehemiah reminded God of His promises. Do we really think God forgets His promises? My kids never let me forget my promises. Has anyone else got kids here? Like a couple of times, be like, right? And they're like, oh, can we do, can we have a slushy? And I couldn't be stuffed taking them for a slushy, so I'll be like, oh, one day this week I'll take you for a slushy. Do You know what? Every afternoon, if I'm picking them up, you said, Dad, that you were going to take us for a slashy. Like, you say one little thing to your children that, you know, and sometimes I say, Oh, can I buy a beanie, bib? Oh, we'll see. Well, for her, that's yes. Dad, you said oh, we could, I could buy a beanie. I'm like, When did I say that? Remember? I was like, No, I said maybe. You try to palm them off even with the maybes, and they come back with the you said. But God is not like us in our, as earthly parents, He does not forget His promises. Can I highlight that it was more about Nehemiah remembering the promises of God than it was about God remembering his own promises? Do you know there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible for believers? Over 7,000. Do you know there is $5.8 billion of gift cards go unclaimed every year? $5.8 billion. Anyone here got an unused gift card? Right, anyone here ever re-gifted an unused gift card?s Oh, that's the test of truth, isn't it? Remember, everything that you say in the darkness will be screamed from the mountaintops. We're all going to know those who re-gifted <laughs> gift cards. Yeah, I do it all the time. What promises are you missing out on? Are we even mindful of them? Seven thousand promises here in this book for believers. Here's four that I want to give us this morning. You ready? You will never be alone in this life. Isaiah 41 verse 10, Do not be afraid for I am with you. Do not be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will hold you with my victorious right hand. Jesus said he will never leave us nor forsake us. Do you feel alone? Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Incredible promise. You will never be alone in this life. Second one is this, that God will get you through whatever you're facing. What an amazing promise. God will get you through whatever you're facing. Isaiah 43 verse 2, When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you go, when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose now it doesn't mean that we won't go through stuff maybe you've lost a loved one maybe you're battling with anxiety maybe maybe you have some pressure financially or relationally you need to know that God will get you through whatever you are facing the third promise I want to give you is this that God will provide for your needs Matthew six thirty three says, Seek first the kingdom above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Paul writes, he says, that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added. All these needs will be met. Can I also say that maybe if we don't seek first the kingdom, all of these things become vulnerable to the enemy. God will provide for your needs Fourth one is this, that God will forgive us of all of our sins. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Friend, Jesus came to remove the one thing that was keeping us from God, and it was the one thing that none of us could do anything about. last thing about Nehemiah's prayer that i want to highlight if the band wants to join me that'd be great is that he confessed his sin he confessed his sin now i don't read anywhere in the scripture or right through the book of nehemiah to highlight that nehemiah had some crazy deep sin in his life I don't read anywhere in, in, I mean, you read through the book of Nehemiah and it almost seems like perfect, highlights, none of his imperfections. Right through, right through the book, he avoids temptation. He avoids deception. It's just like the guy is just seems to be, in a way, squeaky clean. Yet Nehemiah comes before God and instead of pointing the finger at everybody else and telling God who the, who, that everybody else is the problem, Owns his own deal and asks God to forgive him. He takes ownership, even though it's not technically his fault that Israel is in the state that it's in. It's not his decisions, his leadership, not his issues. Yet Nehemiah confesses his sin and accepts responsibility. Lord, my marriage is in trouble. My lousy husband doesn't appreciate me. Lord, my wife won't stop complaining. God, my kids and all my boss and all my co-workers, all my employees, all my church, all my town, all there's nothing to do and blah, blah, blah. And it's like everybody else's problem. Everybody else has the issues. Everybody else is at fault. And I wonder if maybe through this we could draw from Nehemiah's life and the fact that he confesses his sin to maybe think that maybe we need to work on our own stuff before we start to troubleshoot everybody else's stuff. I mean, you look at the heart of Nehemiah and and, and as he prays and as he weeps over the brokenness and he connects with God, he then accepts entire responsibility for the nation. And he says, God, we have sinned as a nation. God, even my own family, God, even I have sinned before you. And I think one of the greatest things we can do in life is to get our eyes off picking up what everybody else should do and begin to just concentrate on what God's doing in our own lives. Because we, we, it's so easy to criticize our boss and to criticize other workers and to criticize our church and, our, and this and that and, and whatever, as opposed to looking inside and saying, God, what about me? What, about, what, what do you need to change in me? What, what in my life do we need to deal with? What do we need to sort out here? Long before we get to here, God will give us all an opportunity to fix what's out there. But we've first got to fix what's going on in here. And we, and we rebel and we kick off. People come alongside us and try to challenge us on some of our dysfunctions and some of the areas of error in our life. And then we say, oh, well, what, what about you? And look at this and look at that and you should be doing this. And instead of having soft hearts that allow people to bring correction and challenge to us, we reject it. We just pick at what everybody else is doing. I've been in church long enough to know sometimes you just, in the gentlest way, say, oh, maybe, maybe you should not move in with that girl you've just met two days ago. And they're like, "Oh, well, you," and then, "Oh, the church is just about money and this and that." And all of a sudden, they're all these I'm a preacher the converted, to, you know, in the front row. But I'm, I'm, that's what happens. You, you start to just press on, and we kick back as opposed to looking inward in our own lives and saying, "God, what can I sort out? What do I need to fix?" Be open-hearted that God has what's best for you, and will use the people around your life to encourage that. Don't ever stop saying, "God, change me." We say our country needs help. We say the church needs revival. But how about we start with ourselves? You know, we live in this culture where we're all victims. (laughs) Have you noticed that? Victims of late menu log and slow drive throughs and (laughs) harsh employees and and bosses. And we blame everybody for our problems and expect everybody else to fix them. God help us if we go to war anytime soon, I think. (laughs) Because I think our current generation is, one, is a generation that lacks more resilience than any other generation. We're so entitled, we're so privileged, we're so blessed. We just hand out for everything. We can't handle someone hurting our feelings. How on earth will we cope if somebody wants to take our lives? Let's own our own stuff. Maybe even start realizing that our World is the way it is because we have let it happen. <laughs> oh, the country this and America that. and <laughs> Maybe we need to own it. It's true that prayer changes things, but it's also true that prayer changes us and then we change things. Nehemiah prays to God for change. And guess who God uses to change it? Let's bow heads and close our eyes this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. God, we thank you that you care for us. You see us where we're at. God, not only do you see us where we're at, but you care and love us way too much to leave us there. And God, I pray for each and every person here, myself included, Father, that as we look at the life of Nehemiah, God, I pray that we would draw just some simple lessons, Father. I pray for each and every one of us, myself here today, Father, that we would soften our hearts to the brokenness around us. God, that we would allow, God, the brokenness in others to move us, that we would have compassion, Jesus, as you had compassion. And I pray that as we, position ourselves in an attitude of prayer Father that we would uh, align our perspective again to understand that God you are for us and not against us let us not get bogged down with our problems here on earth but let us position ourselves with our Father who art in heaven God remind us of your promises maybe some that I've shared today God have really resonated help us God to be so mindful of your promises and Father I pray help us as we as we come before you to take responsibility for our own mess God, let us focus on our own insignificance, God, in our own not enoughs, Father, and let us come before you, receiving forgiveness in Jesus' name. And just right now, why heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we're in this attitude of prayer today. If you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, to commit your life to Christ, to become a Christian, then this morning I want to give you that opportunity and just in this place just in this moment for one more moment just right now where heads about eyes are closed you're here today and you've never made a decision or maybe you made this decision once before to follow christ to become a christian uh but for whatever reason today you just know you are not where you need to be with god you know today that you need to come back make a fresh commitment and have a fresh start then this morning i want to pray with you and i want to lead you in a prayer and give you the opportunity this morning maybe for the first time or as a recommitment to surrender your life to christ to become a follower of jesus to believe in him to become a Christian. And so right now in this moment, right now, while every head's bowed and every eye's closed, I want to ask you to do something really simple right now and that's just to repeat this prayer after me. And I'm going to ask all of us here this morning, those of us that have prayed this prayer, walking with Jesus for years, let's pray this prayer together out loud. But if you're here for the first time, would you repeat this prayer after me as we pray it together as you commit your life to Christ? Would you repeat after me nice and loud? Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for your great love. And I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me. I thank you today that I've been forgiven. And I commit my heart and my soul to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you give God a hand this morning? If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, can I encourage you, before you leave today, can you please let somebody know that you prayed that prayer? If you came with a friend this morning, please make sure you let them know. Make sure you see the info desk or one of the team here. Make sure you let them know. Don't leave this place this morning without letting somebody know that you made that decision. Another thing I want to encourage you to do is make sure you read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'll get your Bible. You can download the Bible app, version. Make sure you download a Bible. Begin to read the life of Jesus, the story, the Gospels. Allow God to speak to you. And the third thing I want to encourage you to do is to pray every day. Ask God to help you. And the fourth thing I want to ask you to do is make sure you come back to church next week. God does not want you to do this life alone. That's not a prayer you pray and then a see you later. All the best with your eternity. <laughs> It's like, no, we want to do this together. We want to help you, encourage you, and serve you, and, and help you understand, answer any questions. If we don't have them, we'll Google them, and we'll all find the answer together. But don't leave this place this morning without allowing somebody to help you on that journey. Is that okay? Fantastic. Let's stand together. Thanks, Ken.